You're listening to KKUP Cupertino, 91.5 FM here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at kkup.org. This is Poetry Radio. I'm your host, Rochelle Escamilla, a.k.a. Boetita. Tonight's guest is Matt Cedillo. I'll read his bio after the music. Uh, we're going to change the tone a little bit here. Uh, thanks, Fly, for always uh, playing the best music. And, you know, someday, someday I'm going to have the ability to read one of your poems, I'm sure. We just have to figure out how to get a magnifying glass that's strong enough to really get that fly handwriting. I mean, I assume you write it, you're handwritten. <laughs> All right. So this first, this track is called El Sumo Sacerdote and it's by La Dame Blanche. So here we go. <laughs> Tipo uma avalanche Isso aqui é rincão e ladrão blanche Isso aqui é pimenta e dendê Se o swing perder, vou pedir revanche Eu tenho plano na mente, já dei o pote Nessa flauta envolvente, MC Fiote Se eu aceita que dói menos, é sem choro Tamo querendo mais ouro, encheu o pote Uh, abalou, abalou A chapa esquentou, faz calor, faz calor Uh, badalou, badalou Amor pela cor, do valor, do valor Que ousadia tocar, nosso dreadlock Se não tiver Permissão, vai tomar um choque Preto brasileiro, sul-americano Tipo africano, corpo deslaque Uau, uau, ei Lara se buena pa eso Buena pa eso, buena pa eso Ei, Lara se buena pa eso Buena pa eso, buena pa eso Ei, Lara se buena pa eso Buena pa eso, buena pa eso Ei, Lara se buena pa eso Buena pa eso, buena pa eso Logo, 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 tum, Opa como tú, negracia cubana bien nada que los lujos, dime quién son tú. El bururú, africano tiene solamente a Tiricúa, pululú, a pululú. Buena, 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 buena para la niña sincera, buena para los curis de la arena, pa' que no se olvide el color de la bisabuela. Buena, ese pelo largo que brilla en la claridad, esos ojos negros y esa nariz afilada, eres caderúa con la naquita parada. Tu abuelita donde está Vinan en el mismo barco que todita la demás El que no tiene de Congo tiene de Santa Cara Martinica Africa, Congo Alemán Franco Marroca, Ruso Colombia Colón África, Chino Puerto Rico That was uh, La Dame Blanche from her album, Bajo el Mismo Cielo. Uh, tonight's Poetry Radio, I'm going to read you our, uh, our the poet bio. So Matt Cedillo is a Chicano poet, writer, creative director, and public intellectual. He has been called the poet laureate of the struggle by Dr. Paul Ortiz and the best political poet in America by investigative journalist Greg Palast. 
Cedillo has been featured at over 90 colleges and universities, including the University of Cambridge and a recent appearance at San Jose City College. He has been invited by countless cultural institutions, including Casa de las Americas, and has been featured on various media outlets, including the Associated Press, Los Angeles Times, and C-SPAN, and of course, Out of Our Minds on KKUP Poetry Radio right here. He is the current literary director of the Center for Arts in Pomona, California, and his first book, which is what we're talking about today, is called Mowing Leaves of Grass, published by Flower Song Books. So this is Matt Cedillo. Uh, Just a reminder, the views and opinions expressed on this program or on the station do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of the staff and management of KKUP. So here we go, our interview with Matt Cedillo. So Matt Sadio, man, you just uh, you just dropped your book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mowing leaves of grass, published by Flower Song Books. Mowing leaves of grass, which is a reference to good old oh, the, the the grandfather of American poetry. <laughs> I, yeah, I believe when you pick a fight, you should really you should aim high. You know, like you know, otherwise, why bother? <laughs> Um, uh, but you, you're not just a poet. You do lots of other things as well, right? You're like a historian. Um, yeah, in many ways I've been, um, able to get into all these things, but it's through poetry. I mean, I don't, you know, I didn't come up through, um, any kind of traditional means to be noted as in, in that kind of way. I just wrote, you know, poetry that was based on, you know, history books I read and I was, you know, and, and that's history books I read, but, you know, people I met and talked to and, and uh, I guess kind of almost oral histories, but uh, kind of a combination of the two. And I put them together in um, essentially poetry, almost like it's kind of a spoken word format. And um, it really got the attention of a lot of people who are noted historians. And uh, and it's made me kind of like carved out these little roles, like the historian's favorite poet. But oftentimes I get to panel alongside them, so it becomes like, I become a historian in my own right, so it's or, or at least a, a social commentator in my own right. So it's, it's really, it's been pretty, it's pretty pretty interesting uh, journey. Yeah, I um, I, I mean, I met you at Alley Cat Books. Um, we were there for a reading. I think it was um, I can't remember. I think it was a hundred thousand poets for change. Um, the Bay Area Poetry Marathon. Uh, Tongo had had uh, Tongo Eisen Martin had curated it. And uh, you were there, and uh, it was the first time I heard you. And I, first of all, I couldn't believe how fast you were spitting your 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 poetry out. I was like, "Dang!" <laughs> I was like, "I'd have to have him slow down for the radio show." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also, also um, the message that you were bringing, which is this idea of, I mean, jokingly we say mowing leaves of grass, but this is a reference to our people and their labor. Absolutely. I mean, it's a reference to, to people and, and, and labor, but you know, it's also, it's joking. And, and I'm also very quite serious about this idea of mowing leaves of grass. Leaves of grass is considered the preeminent piece of American poetry, right? Mm-hmm. The preeminent collection of, of U S poetry. But Walt Whitman himself was a proponent of the Mexican American war. Mm. Like he cheered that on. He cheered that on and he spoke, you know, and not just in a, here and there quote him. He he really made a big deal of it and he and it's and it's expressed in his poetry. Um mm-hmm. you know, he's got a, a poem about California. He says, uh, California, I will teach you this robust American love. 
Now, he's writing this in the 1850s. What does that mean in the context of um, of that time that time in history? I mean, you're talking about, you know, just decades, a decade after uh, the Mexican-American War and a time when, you know, you're looking at the gold rush. You're looking mm. at people get slaughtered. Um, you're looking at people getting slaughtered for, like, you know, land claims, just mm-hmm. shooting Mexicans indiscriminately. You're looking at a period of lynching. Um, of Mexicans uh, in, the, in the Southwest, and in that time period, Walt Women is cheering all of this on. He's saying this is great, this is wonderful, this is, you know, like this is a um, a beautiful chapter in human history where we expand the bounds of, of freedom and liberty, right? And so, yes. you know, that's who Walt Women was. Yeah. No, I I mean, I, you know, these kinds of things. It's it's really interesting to hear. Um, the sort of retelling of uh, American history generally, but also the retelling of American poetic history as a student of poetry myself and having studied it for years in a very, very, very uh, white context, which is what the academy trains us in. If you go to the academy, unless you're lucky enough to be in workshops or in schools where there are people of color who are managing them and, and, and decolonizing their syllabi. But across across the United States, we're taught, you know, Leaves of Grass is a quintessential piece of American literature. It's a quintessential snapshot of what um, early American poetry can do. Walt Whitman was so um, profound and uh, and sort of experimental with his long lines and all of these representations. And also the Academy defends his position by saying, well, we also we also have sort of this uh, concept that he may have been gay. And so the homoeroticism of, of Walt Women also like gives him some kind of weird street cred in the poetry world as well. Um, but to hear you say this and to also have researched it myself and looked into what he was talking about with regards to the American sort of idealism. Yeah, he was he was a proponent of whatever deaths came to brown people at that time. Absolutely. And that's the primary thrust that I'm coming at it from. But I, I what well, women, it, it doesn't stand, it doesn't, and it doesn't stop there. Wait, there's more. Mm. I mean, uh, you have, you know, his most, probably most famous poem, you know, I Sing the Body Electric. There's a, there's passages in that where he's talking about going to a slave auction and he, he doesn't really say anything bad about slavery. I mean, I don't know if he's saying necessarily, I mean, I know he was a big proponent of Lincoln, so you might argue something else, but in the poem, I Sing the Body Electric, he's simply talking about seeing people being, put on auction seeing you know human beings being sold as merchandise and he's commenting on their bodies mm. you know it's, it's it's really like some really de- just horrible stuff and this is not in some obscure passage of Whitman. This is icing the body electric. Mm. So, you know, th- th- those are my feelings about Walt Whitman. I mean, those are my feelings about Walt Whitman. And, and I, I, I tend to actually agree with a lot of what people in the academy say other than the oh, brilliant and experimental. Well, I guess it's experimental, but other than the brilliant and it's so great, mm-hmm. uh, I tend to agree with them. It is a deep reflection of American culture. It is a deep reflection of American culture. And the things he expressed about the Mexican-American War also deeply expresses American culture. But I feel like we're in a period, time period where American culture is getting ready to change and it's getting ready to change not because the so-called traditional Americans are changing but because we're undergoing a demographic shift you see all these different statistics that talk about millennials are doing this and millennials are doing this and millennials are doing that all to say that you know like they care more about these things they care more about those things well that's because because the, the, the share of millennials is a smaller share of white people 
Mm. It's just that simple. It's, it didn't get any better. It's just it's a smaller share of white people. Percentagely, if there's make up a smaller percentage of these future father for the further generations, and that's why these generations seem less and less um, hell bent on the destruction of the earth or on the destruction of various peoples for no reason whatsoever. And so that is actually you know what we're looking at. And because of that, I can produce a book like called Mowing Leaves of Grass. And if it get ends up getting promoted well, it can really uh, it could really you know, it could really uh, shake some some. Uh... Yeah, shake some boots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, I don't think I'm that's the right. Him. I don't think that's the right term. <laughs> yeah. I, don't... I think that's something else. Um... Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I. I mean, I. I absolutely hear you. I. I hear you on that. And. And you're right. It is. Uh, if we're talking about. Um, something being a quintessential piece of American history, we're talking about America as the the represent the the white representation that excludes the voices of people of color purposefully, either that or tokenizes us, giving us the opportunity to speak to have one person who 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 the sort of uh, white canon approves as the person to speak, and then having that person represent the entire culture that they come from, um, which is. Uh, a really, really flawed way of letting brown people's history, brown and black people's history into the American canon. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. That's, that's, that's right. That's right. Walt Whitman was purely American. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know what? I want to, I want to talk a little bit about a, a few other things. You, uh, wrote something, you wrote an essay about the stuff that's going on with American dirt. There's a lot of stuff happening right now around, uh, the Latino literature world and also around Latinos generally in the larger public. We saw the, uh, the Super Bowl halftime show where, uh, they sort of dramatized children in cages, mm. um, and then we also have this uh, literary scandal with American Dirt. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, about the essay you wrote, or maybe read the essay? Um, uh, you know what? I, I would encourage people to go to telejaguar.com, telejaguar.com, and check out uh, the uh, the essay uh, Mexican as American Dirt. And um, the, the essay essentially argues – it talks about Walt Whitman. It talks about – uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, mm. who uh, famously yeah. said, "Mexico will poison us." Mm. I mean, this is how they think. They talked. He was saying that you know, it was almost like he was speaking against the Mexican-American War, saying we shouldn't do it because if we if we do that, we're going to acquire the land and we're going to acquire the Mexicans. And mm. if we do that, Mexico will poison us. Like there'll be too many of them, mm. and that will poison us, right? So that's what Ralph Waldo Emerson said. You know, I, I grew up hearing about like, um, you know, I didn't really grow up hearing about these people. It was like later on and took an interest in in, in literature or whatever. I end up these these people are like the people you're supposed to read and uh, you know and venerate. Yeah. And like it, it's just like it just it's one after another. And so I when I'm what the essay really gets at is that. You know, the publication of American dirt is not an aberration. It is the expression of American culture. Mm. And to debase Mexicans is a pillar of American culture. That is U.S. culture. The debasement of you of Mexican people and, and, and you know, broadly, uh, you know, various groups of Latinos, um, certainly African-Americans, um, certain groups of Asian-Americans. I mean, that is part of U.S. culture. It is U.S. culture. Definitely, you know, the, the, the original peoples, the various native nations that were here before the U.S. I mean, all those, the debasement of all these people is U.S. culture. That is what it is. It's mm. not like 
not just we're being excluded. Our debasement is their culture. Mm. I'm saying, and I'm not saying it's. I'm not arguing that it goes back to some ancient time in Europe. I'm no. I'm saying like the the European settlers, the, the people that came here and 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 enslaved people in Africa, brought them here. The people that killed the native peoples, the people that went to wage war against Mexico, killed all these natives from Mexico, killed all these people. They developed a culture, and that culture is our debasement. Right, so it's not strange to me that Walt Whitman said these things about Mexicans. It is not strange to me that Emerson said that, and it is not strange to me that American Dirt is getting published. So I took it outside the films. I took it outside the context of just literature. Right, I made reference to to Whitman and Emerson. I, I talked a little bit about Kerouac and uh, and Malcolm Lowry, mm. uh, but uh, but then I took it into film. You know, I said like, look at this. You you gotta look at like D. W. Griffith. Same year he produces Birth of a Nation. You know that horrible clamp. Mm-hmm. Like, same year he produces a same year he directed that he produces a film called um, Martyrs of the Alamo, also known as The Birth of Texas. Mm. And in this film, they basically have the exact same thing where it says uh, under under the rule of Santa Ana, um, white womanhood was not safe, something mm. like that. And this is in 1915. Well, 20, 2015, 100 years later, Mexican, uh, Donald Trump runs on the on the on the campaigns, you know, camp, you know, opens his presidential campaign saying Mexico was sending drug dealers and rapists. So you see that this pro- gets produced and reproduced every generation, you know. And I start talking about the treasure Sierra Madre with the badges. We don't need no stinking badges and mm. the uh, the Wild Bunch. How it's supposed to be this great innovative film and and, and how it it portrayed you know gun violence and and um, and just different action shots and just seen as a um, a technical masterpiece in some ways. Um, but whose blood was being shed? That was Mexican blood being shed. And also the Wild Bunch is a reimagining of uh, of something that actually did happen, which was called the Mexican Expedition, also known as the Punitive Expedition, which was launched in 1916 by John Pershing, the U.S. Army, led by John Pershing into Mexico. And they ended up killing all these like townspeople, right? That happened in 1916. 100 years later, you have Donald Trump talking about we're going to build a wall. Mexico will pay. The name of the expedition, the punitive expedition. This concept of punishing Mexico for the things they've done to us is uh, is, is deep in U.S. culture. It's deep in U.S. culture. And so we can't look at uh, the publication of American Dirt as a, a random thing that happened. It was bad and, you know, like, it, oh, this one really just slipped through the gates, right? No, that is U.S. culture. Dang. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is this is the kind of conversation that I think a lot of people need to hear and especially people who um, are surprised by the sort of blatantness of of a woman who is not really Latina, has never claimed Latinidad, writing a story that sort of hyper hyper imagines the struggle of um, someone trying to cross the border and then. Um, gets picked up by Oprah's book club and then gets, you know, venerated as as one of the best American or or the best American novel since Steinbeck. And 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 to top it all off, you know, she gets her manicure done and it's barbed wire. It's a it's a fetishizing of the border and a fetishizing of struggle and a fetishizing of the struggle of people at the border. And then we have that hand in hand with the representation at the Super Bowl where, you know, I mean, hey, 
I like Bad Bunny and J Belvin and I like J Lo and Shakira, but what happens after the show? They're calling for this like, oh, there's this beautiful quote unquote light lit representation of like children inside of cages. But did any of that money from the Super Bowl go to helping the border issues? No. This is all sort of the um right now, I mean maybe back in the day and maybe this is true and maybe you'll agree with me, but but they're basically profiting off of our struggle, right? Off of our stories. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, don't, I you know, like the question with Jay Lower Shakira is like, should they have done it? Shouldn't they have done it? Like, well, what do you do in that position? Like, I, don't, I, I guess to me that's a complicated question. I don't know, but the fact of the matter is, uh, like, no, nothing's gonna be done to help them. I mean, and 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 it's and it's all this like, you know, there's a lot of bizarre conflation that, mm-hmm. that goes on. You know, just like just putting things together that don't necessarily like have a, a coherent statement. I mean, if you look at like what happened with, um, if you look at like even this book, this book, right? I, I didn't read American Dirt and I will not read American no, Dirt. No, me neither. Days of me being compelled to read things that are designed to humiliate me are over. You know, yeah. I already graduated high school. You know what I mean? I don't have to, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be forced to read something that's gonna humiliate me anymore. That's not, that, that I don't have to do that anymore. Um, mm. But the reality is, the reality is, is that from what I, from things I've been hearing, anyways, is that there's a whole, you know, scenario where she's like not, at, this person's not like, like, this person is like middle class in Mexico, mm-hmm. right? So a middle class person would come to Mexico, just they would just overstay their visa. That's just what they would. That, that's what that's how that would happen. To come to uh, the U.S., yeah. Yeah, um, you have another situation with, uh, yeah, but for some bizarre reason, she ends up like on La Bestia, right? So that's like that's that's something that like that that that's not really even the most impoverished Mexicans don't really necessarily go through that. That that's something that that's more of a Central American thing, and that's something that that, that they're impacted by. So there's this a whole just like wanting to cram all these different things into one just hard brown life is difficult brown suffer brown 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 oh god brown 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 you know and it's just just bizarre and and, and the super bowl i mean i kind of by the nature of the super bowl shows you have to like cram everything into like five minutes i mean you have to cram their own songs into like 12 seconds so it's a little harder to fault that but again that is definitely the commodification of those children in cages i mean what well you know i i think i read somebody posting about how there were commercials for the Dakota Pop Access Pipeline, Jeez. you know, during the Super Bowl. So I mean, like, when you juxtapose the idea that you have these those commercials, you have Donald Trump uh, have, uh, giving himself a commercial, you have, um, you know, Bloomberg giving himself a commercial, you have all these people like doing these things who are, you know, who are known in, you know, in U.S. for their horrific racism. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just really a spectacle. It really, it really is. It's it's a, it's a complete spectacle. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's not, and 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 as you say, like as as we continue to educate ourselves in the sort of uh, way that the United States uses our story to to further their to well, like you say, to humiliate us, but also to further their own story and their own heroism. As you continue to to see that constantly over and over again, you realize that these stories are not new. And that's what you're saying with this book, with with having this discussion with, uh, you know, leaves of mowing leaves of grass. You're saying this is not new and this is and and your representation of that poetry is new. You are speaking a new truth to that history and to that poetic lineage. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Um, But, you know, but the book argues there is one thing that is new and that is is you know what is called the browning of America. I mean, I mean, some would argue so the, the rebrowning of America. Would, would some would argue, but um, that's new. 
You know, I mean, the mm. fact that we have these, these changing numbers, the fact that we can create our own networks, and that's what I'm—that's what I really want to see coming out of this American Dirt fiasco, is that we end up creating our own networks. You know, I got interviewed by the Associated Press about this, and the, then that from the Associated Press, it went to the New York Times and Washington Post and a bunch of other places, and that was really cool, right? Nice. But yeah, it's, it's cool for me, I guess, and, and it's cool for people that also were interviewed. And um, but but the point I made in that was that we need to build our own networks of presses not just that we need to just all start our own presses we need to build networks of presses so that we can negate their machine because you know it didn't they didn't put they didn't put this part didn't get in the article but their machine is designed to humiliate us and so like there's no way that we're gonna like get allowed in if we get allowed in to do things like let's say they hire more people what they're gonna end up doing is again they're just gonna end up hiring people who green light you know our Mm-hmm. Degradation. They're gonna. They're going to be people who highlight, who, who green light these horrible things. They're gonna rub. They're gonna hire a group of rubber stampers. And another thing I find just kind of horrible is the fact that you know, like they're trying to like, um, make, you know, the, the the her publishers, McMillan, I guess, are they're they're really actually trying to uh, to do this thing where they're gonna rectify things by creating a, a subdivision of, of Latino authors, mm. you know, whatever. And it's like that reminds me a lot of Donald Sterling when he he got caught up uh, the the guy that owned the Clippers and the NBA was like you know like you are too racist you can no longer I mean how racist do you have to be to not be allowed to own a sports team in the U S you <laughs> should be really really racist and he was he was really racist I mean he was he was profoundly racist horrible horrible things he was saying um, and so you know the NBA was like no you're too racist you know you can't have a team anymore. And so the unacceptable ended, amount of racism. It was just yeah. And so he ended up he ended up having to um to sell the Clippers, but he ended up making like two billion dollars on that on that deal because you know so so even even their scandals produce profits, right? right. And so the idea that 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 we should fight to get in to these things where you know like they will profit. Yeah. Uh, so it there's the ideological thing, and then there's the commercial part. The ideological part is that I just don't think it's going to work. I mean, ideologically, they have to produce. They have to. They have to produce our humiliation. They have to produce their degradation because they have to explain why they don't pay us as much money. Mm. And, you know, they just, <laughs> they just have to explain why they don't pay us, right? And so, like, and that has to be recreated every single generation so they can continue not to pay us, mm. right? And so, like, so they're going, they can't let it go. They can't let it go because the culture is, it, it's it's ingrained in the, their position in the world and they can't let it go. So I don't think it's going to work, period. But then on another level, I just don't think it's right. Even if it did work, I don't think it's right that they should be the ones to profit after, you know, after, you know, it's like they do something horrible. We protest. They profit. Like, what kind of cycle is that? <laughs> like, so I think we need to create our own networks of already existing presses, find ways to, to, to work with each other in ways that are, you know, democratic and to everybody's, you know, benefit to, in the community. Benefit. No ego tripping. And, yeah. Yeah. Just, just, just really, just focus on on uh, eyes on the prize, right? There's a bigger thing going on right now, and if we can establish this, I get it. We all have egos. We're all artists. We're all like whatever, and we all like feel like we're being cheated. We all feel like there's a place in history for us. But you know, like all these groups in, throughout history, whether I like them or don't like them, 
you got like you know the Harlem Renaissance, you have the Beats, you have um, you know the Mexican muralist movement. You have all these different groups. They all benefit from being associated with one another. Yes, all of them, yes. right? And yes. so like, who ends up being Claude McKay and who ends up being um, uh, Langston Hughes? That's mm-hmm. for you know future generations to decide. Who ends up being you know Diego Rivera and who ends up being Siqueiros? That's for history to decide. That's for later generations to decide. You know, like who gets to have the slightly bigger name and the slightly bigger statue? Mm-hmm. That's not that's not, that's not that's not something we need to be fighting about right now. Yeah, I was just talking um, to some of the guys out in San Francisco. I mean, you've been coming up to to the Bay for readings and stuff like that, and we were talking about mm-hmm. the new San Francisco poetry renaissance sort of started and birthed. And I and I won't say I won't say. Um, I don't know enough of the history of the Bay Area poets, the Bay Area Brown poets to say anything too conclusive, but, you know, Tongo Eisenmartin is the center. Josiah Luis Aldorete over there holding up speaking Asholol. And then all of the poets that are that are speaking up, Jeremy Michael Vasquez, uh, Forced to Fly, Lady Rev, um, Anthony Fangery, all these people who are who are working, all these brown and black poets who are working in the Bay Area. I, I really think it's a new renaissance. And uh, I mentioned to Tongo in, an, in, a, in a DM, I was like, hey, maybe I should write an article about the new San Francisco renaissance. And he's like, yeah, you should. And then I was like, man, I don't have time for this. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, no, I mean, like, uh, but see, like, okay, so let's look at the last big giant San Francisco, whatever. Yeah. I mean, look at Lawrence Ferlinghetti. See, this is where, where people get all messed up. Look at Lawrence Ferlinghetti, right? Mm-hmm. This is a guy who who spent all his time producing things for other people, supporting other people, you know, like creating some infrastructure, whatever you feel about the people he worked with, whoever you feel about, I'm just talking about the model. Right. Lawrence Ferlinghetti's Pope reputation as an artist, as a poet, as a whatever, as himself, has not suffered. Mm-hmm. At all. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I and mean, I'm not saying he's like it falsely benefit either. His reputation as a poet is secure. Mm-hmm. And his work to give other people platforms has not in any way, shape, or form taken away from that. Yep. He is who he is, and that is and that is that. So, I mean, I don't think in this way that we support one another. It's like, well, if I do that for somebody else, I'm not saying that's what you're saying, obviously. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. I do this for somebody else, then what's that going to do to me? You know, yeah. that, that's not that's not the thing. I mean, and, and um, I yeah. I, I, I think I, I will say I will say that, like, um, there was a, a few years ago I decided that I was going to stop accepting um, acceptances to poetry readings if I was the only poet of color on the list. So I was refusing to be tokenized. And once I did that, I made that conscious decision to no, no longer be tokenized. I was thrust into a world of nothing but brown and black poets in this way that was like really eye-opening. And I'll say that the egos inside of the brown and black poetry world are far less, um, even if the egos are there, the destructive nature of whiteness and the way that whiteness oftentimes uses itself to um, sort of uh, manipulate and and undermine the works of brown poets and people of color generally. I don't see any of that kind of manipulation inside of the brown and black poetry world. I saw it a lot in, in the other poetry world where I never knew who was my friend and who was my enemy. But I I think we are working towards a collectivism and I personally have been putting on poetry readings and uh, and doing this radio show and promoting poetry of other people for 15 years now. I started here in San Jose at San Jose State 
and uh and i will tell you like i i love it i just yeah. love hearing good poetry and i like putting on shows for poets who are amazing uh, but this is the yeah. first time in my life that I'm actually asking for money and trying to raise money for my own personal play. It's really hard, actually, to to try and promote yourself when yeah. you've been promoting other people your whole life. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, yeah, I mean, like, that could be a conversation for another time. I'll, I'll interview you about your play. I mean, that's the kind of stuff we got to do. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. That, no, I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah, no, we have to. We, we, we need to. I think what you're saying is absolutely correct. We have to create networks for ourselves because I mean, and that's, and that's sort of what revolutionary acts do. Like everyone says like, Oh, how can you be revolutionary in capitalist society? Well, you create parallel structures. Capitalism will run the way that it runs and it will be run by white supremacy no matter what it does. So in order for us to survive, yes, we must sort of in some ways find ways to survive inside of the system of capitalism, but we should always be building parallel structures that include the people we want it to include and create communities that we want to create and promote the people that we want to promote. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, it's, it's interesting you bring up Tongo because, you know, I've known Tongo since uh, about 20, I want to say about 20, around 2011 or so. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember like uh, way before he, uh, before he had these last, I don't know, few years of success, major successes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember when he wasn't necessarily – you know, like he was more like a cult favorite or some of that, or people, mm -hmm. pe you know, people mm -hmm. who were in the know, you know, were in the know. Mm -hmm. And and everywhere I would go, I would talk about Tongo. I mean, Tongo Lisa Martin, these guys are amazing. This is the best poet in America. Nobody even knows it. Mm. And um and uh, now, like you know, perception is catching up with his talent. So I mean, he's he, Tongo is amazing. Tongo is amazing. But see, I've never, I've never ever shied away from trying to do projects with Tongo. Right? You talk about ego and stuff like that. And I am like. Very, I mean, I can be very, I don't know, I can be very, very confident, right, in, in my, my skills and abilities, right, and, um, but that just, it just strives, it makes me strive, I mean, like, I, I'm around him, and I strive to do to, to a better version of myself, right, because, yeah. like, because what I do is different than him, I mean, I'm more of, like, a roller coaster, whereas he's, like, a dream, right, <laughs> so it, it makes me strive to be a better roller coaster when I hear, like, how good he is at being a dream, so I'm like, all right. Because I want my I want my statue I want my place in history I want whatever but like you know like but you know I mean some run to the fire and some run from it so I always try to work with Tom any any chance I get that's bad yeah I like that <laughs> uh, so you're listening to KKUP Cupertino ninety one point five FM here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at KKUP.org where we stream live all the time I'm your host Rochelle Escamilla aka Poetita uh, tonight's guest is Matt Cedillo and I'll get back to the interview in a moment and speaking of Tongo Tongo Eisen Martin is going to be reading in Salinas on Friday as part of the first Friday event at the Salinas CSUMB Salinas Center for Arts and Culture uh, Tongo Eisen Martin will be there reading it'll start at 7 o'clock um, the events at the Salinas Center for Arts and Culture start about 5 o'clock and there's food and music and there's tons of events happening all night long but specifically uh, Tongo Eisen Martin will be reading at 7 at 7 p.m. 
Um, I'll be reading as well. I'm reading from my uh, first book, Imaginary Animal. And there will also be uh, Nathan, Xavier, Osorio will be there. And um, some amazing student poets will be there as well. Uh, so please don't miss it. And 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 word has it there's going to be a drummer who's going to show up for us. And, and I'm not talking like bongos. I'm talking about a full drum set. So it's going to be loud in downtown Salinas on Friday night. So um, that's part of the community calendar. Another community event that's more relevant to San Jose. I'm really, really excited about this. Um, I'm working with uh, this amazing writer who came on the show before, Ashley, and Ashley and I uh, put together a show in East Side of San Jose. So next Friday, February 21st at 6 p.m. on the East Side of San Jose at Conexion, which is at 749 Story Road, Suite 10. At 6 o'clock, there will be a powerhouse of poets for a night of poetry for the community. Josiah Luis Alderet is going to come down from San Francisco. He is amazing, amazing um, local poetic star who was on the show last month. Asha is going to be there and Asha is so awesome. Um, I'll be there reading from my first book, Imaginary Animal, which is uh, what I'm adapting into a play which will show off-Broadway in New York, and then also come to Salinas during the Philip Glass Days and Nights Festival in October. Um, and then also I'm bringing in for that night of poetry on the East Side next Friday night, uh, Chris Carr, who is a revolutionary poet from Brooklyn. So we'll all be there in La Casa, in the community, over on the east side, um, doing poetry. And so there's a few events coming up. You got Salinas, you got Tongo Eisenmartin uh, coming to Salinas uh, at 7 p.m. at the Selena Center for Arts and Culture. And we've got Josiah Luis Alderete coming to Eastside San Jose on February 21st at 6. If you have any questions, give me a call here. You, sh- you can also find all this stuff online. Uh, just look up me, Poetita. I push all of this stuff out. But also, if you want to look up Tongo or Josiah Luis Alderete, you can find them on Instagram and uh, and get connected that way. And, and I have to say, a lot of the events that are happening, they're happening fast and they're happening all over the place. And so if you want to be in the know, I know a lot of the poets are posting stuff on Instagram. Um, that's where they are right now. So uh, let's get back to this interview with Matt Cedillo. Here we go. I like that. I like that. Yeah, apparently I've been described by many people as being a wildfire. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dang. Yeah, no. Tongo. Tongo is. I think he really is the center of the of the San Francisco Renaissance. And, uh, but speaking of that, you know, you're down in LA. What's the scene like in LA? What's going on down there? We had talked about how um, there are poems being adapted to plays, and what's what's the scene like? Tell me about it. Well, you know, uh, LA. Um, doesn't have uh, good public transportation. Right. <laughs> so right. much like the city, it's, and that affects everything. Mm. So much like everything in the city, the poetry scene is fractured. Like mm. Much like everything, there are many LAs, right? And poetry is no exception. Mm. So there's all, all kinds of different, different things happening on with LA poetry. You have the slam scene, um, which is, is really kind of, I mean, it used to be a little more dispersed, but now it's really kind of centralizing at the poetry lounge. You have... Um, kind of literary stuff that's going on more people you know just getting their books published over in that that spreads into orange county as well as the inland empire but mm. in la proper i'd say it's still probably focused at beyond baroque um but um but, and various other places too but like but that's kind of maybe the focus but you know in the, in, the, in the oc you have like all these people starting up their own small presses inland empire you have inlandia um you know there's there's all kinds of 
I mean, there's really all kinds of things that are going on. But with Flower Song Books, I mean, I, I've been very fortunate that I got published. Um, but we intend to, to do some things because there's a crew of writers that are about to get published, and they're all people I know. So somehow that happened. I'm not sure. What a coincidence, right? Mm. Uh, and they're all about to get published by nice. the same people publishing me. And we're going to start putting on, like, festivals and, and workshops and retreats and, like, doing booking colleges together mm. and uh, and really finding ways to, you know, eke out a living but also, like, really do some legacy-defining projects. Um, so that that's what's going on. And, I mean, I, I L.A., it's a big place, and, right. and I my role within it is uh, – is, um, is an interesting one. It's, well, it's and, ten it's, and you have, yeah, and it sounds like you have a community specifically around this particular press, um, which is great and which is a great way to start. So why don't you read a few poems uh, from your book? Okay. Um, so I would just say that uh, just one, the one last thing about the press is that Flower Song is actually based in Texas, and I'm the first Californian. Ooh. And so, like, I, the, the fact that it's publishing all my friends is, is, uh, is is going to make it very easy for it to to sweep through the state of California, um, <laughs> I, you know, because right. I, I have plans. I have plans on plans on plans. Well, All hey, right, I'm uh, I'm I'm not booked out for the rest of the. I've got lots of slots open for the radio show if people are patient enough to deal with my b- busy schedule and my baby and everything else. I'll yeah. definitely get them on the show. That's good to know. <laughs> See, some were born to summer homes and palatial groves where pain was only to unfold from the pages of secret gardens where the red fern grows, but not I. See, I come from the stock of starry-eyed astronauts who greet the night sky with big dreams and wide eyes, always running down the devil's highway through occupied America, on the way back to house on Mango Street, and all those other books you don't want us to read. Raised on handball off the back wall of a panaderia born east the river post Mendez versus Westminster, one generation roof the red lines. And diplomas that were signed that those dreams, with that skin, need not apply. See, I come from struggle. And if my story offends you, it was only because you made the mistake of seeking your reflection in my self-portrait. See, this, well, this may be about you. Someone born to the common core, whose reflected pa- faces grace the pages of doctrines discovered and age to be explored. World world hardships crash against new shores, New England, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, for others pushed off Turtle Island, Aslan, do not call this brown skin immigrant, child of the sun, son of the conquest, Mexicano blood, running through the veins of the east side of Los Angeles, do not tell him it will native tongue, a song will best be sung, do not tell me who I am, because I was raised like you. Miseducated in some of those very same schools off lessons and legends of honest Indians and Christian pilgrims and a nation of immigrants all united in freedom that is until they pulled aside my white friend pointed directly at me and said, Scott, I judge you by the company you keep and you spend your time with this. And that same old story since 1846. Mm-hmm. The adventures of Uncle Sam, the stick-up man, a wetback. Show me your papers, now give me your labor. The melting pot was never made for the hands to clean it. The American dream has always come at the expense of those who tucked in. You don't know that. Because you don't teach it. could write you a book, but you won't read it. So you know what? This is about you. In 1492, 
and the Treaty of Guadalupe and California missions and Arizona schools, these racists that try to race us as we raise their kids in cities that bear our names. But you can learn some of your from Ferdinand to Minuteman, from Arpaio to Alamo, from Popo Burio, so Joaquin, the Indian that still lives in me, from AOC8 to Missing 43, try to bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. Canea Mines, Lino Strike, the Plan de Ala, Mizapata, Joaquin Mireta, Las Adelitas, Brown Beresi, Zapatistas, from Richard Nixon, the third Napoleon, from Peckinpah to Houston, from Lone Star Republic to Christopher Columbus, all the way down to Donald Trump. We didn't cross the borders. The borders crossed us. Who are you calling immigrant? Pilgrim. That's nice. Pilgrim. Nice. Um, I recently did that poem at uh, high school and at, at uh, San Jose City College, but also at a high school. Uh, Gunderson, I think. Mm-hmm. Gunderson High. Um, and what we did was we actually had a printout of the poem, and the students were like studying it as I was as as I was reading, so they could actually make check marks next to these these references they may not be too sure of. Mm. So I'm I'm thinking I'm gonna be doing that from from here on out. That's gonna be kind of. Um, well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a process of education as well. I mean, these poems are not just telling. The, these poems are not just um, a poetic reference to the self as in to you and your story individually, but they're a poetic reference to the history of our people. Yeah. Um, which is what sort of in, in some, you know, way Walt Whitman was doing in the way that he did it. But this way is just Brown. And, you know, I, um, I, I wrote a blurb for a, a very good friend's book uh, that will be coming out soon, I think. And uh, his book is amazing. And we were talking and I was saying, you know what, the thing is, is that I remember when I started writing poetry, I remember that uh, the argument of, about why brown people and black people weren't included in the American canon of poetry was because we weren't good enough. Like we didn't know craft or lines or rhyme or chimes or all of this sort of poetic <laughs> stuff yeah. well yeah. enough to be able to compete with the white people who were being put at the center of the page. And for a long time, I didn't quite understand that because I thought that was so like weird like really is that really it and this is before i came to know myself you know before we we come to activate our own agency within our communities but um um so i i was doing this blurb and this guy's book is just so fantastic and it's doing all the things that your book is doing all the ways in which it's inhabiting space and time and it's using the poetics of craft in all the ways that we've been taught to use um in addition to telling our story and i was saying they just can't ignore us anymore. There's no way we can be ignored anymore because we can do their poetics, but we can do it better because it's brown. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like on the back of this book, it says, Matt Cedillo is stone cold, the best political poet in America, right? And that was by a, an investigative journalist, Greg Palast, who was a recipient of all kinds of awards, right? Anyways, the point of that, though, is that like I, when I tell people that, I, I show them to people at San Jose City. I said, like, this says I'm the best political poet in America, the best, <laughs> like not the best Mexican, not the best in Cal. I'm the best at this, <laughs> at this way of doing poetry. I am the best and I'm Mexican and I'm proud. As- <laughs> and they all started clapping and whatever. But that's important. I mean, that's important. You know, I mean, these, these things that say that, like, you know, like. That you know, like I, you, you, that we are excellent. You know, I mean, you know, you say you're saying you're the best, and people get mad and they want to compete. Or, but like, I have no issue saying I'm excellent. I, I'm, I'm really, really good at this. And, um, and, 
you know, like I've, I've spoken at Cambridge, I've, I've spoken at Casa de las Americas. I mean, I've, you know, I've spoken at like 90 campuses across the country. I mean, I am really, really good at this. And, um, and it's what and, you do. And it's what I do. And I'm, you know, I'm as good as, I'm as good as anybody at it. And, um, and we can't, and, and, and you and, and me and other people who are working in this world yeah. can't be ignored anymore. Our stories, uh, our, right. our position of power can't be ignored anymore. And I think that, that, you know, is what scares people as well. They don't know what to do with us. They don't know what to do when you're no longer being tokenized, but you're taking over the whole space. It scares our own people too, though, because I mean, I saw, you know, like, I, you know, like, uh, I, w I was talking to somebody and I showed them the book and he's like, oh man, you're so great, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. He's like, no, no, it really speaks to all this, all this history you combined. And he started describing what he liked about it. It was like really like very insightful. So he had a really good insight into what I was doing. So it was clearly, you know, like really enjoyed it. And, and for whatever reason he was, you know, he, it pick, he picked up on all of it. And then he, he looks at me, he's all like, I'm like, oh, well, man, look, check it out, man. This is the book, blah, blah, blah. And he looks at the best. He looks at the back and it says like the best political poll in America. <laughs> and he looks at me and says, I don't know about the best though. And I was like, <laughs> you know, like, get out of here. Like, you don't know. <laughs> sorry, like, I'm, I'm like, well, there's a lot you don't know. You know, <laughs> I didn't quite say it that way, but. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I ain't going to say it, but you're still a Latino man. What Whatever, man. Whatever. I mean, he wasn't a poet at all. It wasn't even like his own personal. It's just like the idea that, like, you know, <laughs> I, maybe the idea that I could be the best at something means that he would have to try to be the, the better at whatever he does. He just didn't want to do it. It's <laughs> a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, read some know. more. Read some more poems. There we go. Sundown, Levittown, Fort Apache, Dirty Harry, John Wayne, Blackface, Minuteman, Moynihan, Gone with the Wind, Breaking Bad, Washington, Redskin, Confederate flag, the sword, the dollar, the cannon, the scholar. The cavalry in the Ivy League history as written by lightning is the rising smoke of burning village. The ways and means which victors keep their victims. A frontier thesis, some notes on the state of Virginia, extraction, expansion, the winning of the West. Lewis and Clark, Smith and Wesson now circle the wagon with bloodshed and slave sweat, the crack of the whip, the law of three-fifths, the crowned republic of King Khan, the intended failures of reconstruction, the housing covenants that greeted great migrations and did the same to the Mexicans in poor Mexico. So far from heaven and so close to, to Monroe Doctrine, to Davy Crockett, to prison industrial complex. A war on drugs is a war on our young. Bloody Christmas. Reefer Madness. Fifteen to life for four ounces. East Oakland, West Baltimore, South La Brea and Oliver North, Plymouth Rock. Jamestown. The Rio Grande. Stolen lives. Stolen land. Mm. Mm. We have time for a few more. Let's get right into it then. Yeah, let's do it. Los Angeles full of abuelas with his grandkids in Spanglish under the watchful eye of Democ the Virgin Jesus. Make a village out of a duplex raised Catholic, but the roots are indigenous. Several generations of family extension are growing one plot. Hand-me-downs under shared rules, rooms, and reflections. In la quech, porque mi casa es tu casa, that's anti promises as family living. That's palabra. Slide a candle. Burn some sage, pick your saints, and set your altar the sign of the cross. The sound of the conscience prayers lifts the four directions. That's culture, not contradiction. Folks in the back, they fight for a living. 515 hail from the rowdy section of Dodger Stadium, but the hearts still burn with the fire from that Chavez ravine. And here is home of Lorena. At 54 cents a dollar, America's most exploited worker neglected, disrespected, underrepresented, presumed incompetent. If she lives life as expected, she'd be labeled statistic. 
If she managed to outpace them, threaten, they will blame her for her action, but either way, they will not see her. They will demand her labor, paid and unpaid, smiling, her eyes humble and her mouth silent. Lay the river. Cities past, present, and future. The Queen of Angels. Invisible to those who float. Through canyons, lagoons, and cemeteries, whitewashing adobe through a series of fevered dreams connected by a bridge called her back to those who make demands. To stories told to bury the past, the ones that serve to remind her that she works for them, that she is lucky to even have a job here in El Pueblo. Nuestra Señora La Reina de Los Ángeles de Rio por cinco la Rosetta to call it La La Land. Since the A's built Pueblo, 18 nights of brickyards of Montebello built one again, only beaten and shot, only for no Mexicans, no dogs, only for a set of rules, for a set of schools, only be written out of the history of a city we found as we are priced out of the homes of our mothers, yet more and more of greater Los Angeles suddenly discovered. This is a struggle our forebears won para pan, historia y terra, hasta victoria siempre de la struggle is real. La lucha sigue. La reina de los angeles on the front lines of every fight, holding it down, holding with the better half of the sky, fighting gentrification, fighting for education, fighting for tenants' rights, fighting la migra y la hora, because police, la ice, fighting for dignity, hers and ours, all the time, proud and brown and brown and proud are the hearts and hands, the backbone of these raised fists. When we throw two fingers up, when we say F Donald Trump, that's an identity policy, that's a cry of the proletariat, and 54 cents on the dollar, she is the face of it so when you see her when you see her pushing some other monsters locked behind cash register gonna have third fourth fifth shift to the oppressed show some respect bow your head bend the knee all hail arena the once a future queen <laughs> nice nice all right nice. So time for two more one more yeah go uh, two more uh two more go for it two more okay so i want to read this one and then i'm going to read uh, the title poem okay so this one's called carved over let's see what Draw a map, line the sand, carve the desert, act on land, amend it, eminent domain, indefinite detention, private prisons, public referendum, gentrification, naturalization, Americanization, forced sterilization, make America great again, Mexico will pay. The hunt for Murrieta. The hunt for Pancho Villa. John Pershing slaughter the innocence, a severed head touring California museums becomes Zorro, becomes the wild bunch. Becomes whitewashed this American life experience, its imagination. If you can dream it, you can see it. And if you can see it, you can build it. And if you can build it, you can take it. And if they resist, manifest a cruelty so complete that for generations they will do it to themselves. Build a city, draw its borders, patrol its districts, add silence to injury, insult without memory, protect these borders from language and culture, taco trucks and Dora the Explorer. The country is changing. You know it. It's simple mathematics and you know it. You have kept us weak by keeping us confused. Your grandchildren will speak Spanglish in the neighborhood you grew up in, greeting their friends on the corner of your childhood and cherished memories. Under the lamplight and faded mist, the historic site of your first kiss where you learned to sink before you learned to swim, where you and she carved your names to trees and promised each other forever, but memories fade. Neighborhoods change, and your names will be carved over, and there is nothing you can do about it. And you know this too. So when Donald Trump says drug dealers and rapists, and Kelly Osborne jumps in to correct him, no, Donald, those people are just here to clean our. When you sit so comfortably, speak so freely about a group of people who are somehow everywhere, yet at the same time, no one holds your tongue. We are far closer than you know. <clears throat> Dang. Final poem. 
time the as yet written vengeance of Elvira Valdez, the best laid plans of Modesta, the reckoning of Santa Cruz, St. Isidro, Bisbee, Chandler, Paul Rainier, the blood, sweat, and tears of all that I refuse to forget, I am that unpaid debt. No sidekick, no subplot, no mascot, no ethnic study, the universe I embody, the ground above me, the sky beneath my feet. March in las calles y las tres, the circular calendar, sleep dealing, siquiera, si vera, past, the future and the present. In la quech, all at once, because in this moment, I am you, you are me, and we are two clenched fists that still lit fire, sacred kept, the final breath called last fighting Aztec, laughing in the face of death, the blade of El Pachuco guarding the temple steps, the strength of memory, the promise of tomorrow, yo soy Chicano, Chicano soy, donde me lleves, el Chicano voy. They want you to think it's important. Critical. To your rehabilitation for the way in which you entered this world. Read Thomas Jefferson or else you get pregnant. Standards and practices. Curriculum and instruction. You, the product of a public education. Do not interrupt or you'll be let cuffed. Face first to pavement like your father, your grandfather, your mother, your Nina, your Dio. So you learn your lesson. It's not personal. It's all you people. So don't get mad. Don't be hurt. Don't make this political. It's economic. Objective. The law of self-interest. If we let you in, what will become of the canon, the classics who will shelve the wit and wisdom of Ben Franklin, Shelley, Shakespeare, Chaucer, Walt Whitman from the Palmanic, starting what is miserable, inefficient Mexico will do with the grand mission, the new world, the noble race. You fought. You lost. You don't get to define this. It's not racism. It's providence. Progress. And God willing, you filthy mongrels, it is just the way it is. I look at you. I see color. I see labor. I see cops and robbers, guards and convicts, institutions of corrections, schools that look like prisons, caged apartments where the cost of living, the cost of being brown is high as waste and the rent. Forget your savage tongue. I will teach you robust American love. Spoon feed you spicks. Freedom of speech. Tell them to take a joke and speak to authority. I'll show you who you are in a book and you'll believe it because I said it and now you read it. And who are you to question the canon, the classics, Lowry, Kerouac, walk out on the great white brilliance of Wilson, Garfield, Roosevelt, Lincoln. Now listen because it's important. The universe is a muralist. The cosmos, our self-portrait, starring a curandera, a danzante, a poet laureate, a stylist, a mechanic, the barrio dandy cruising the rings of Saturn to the travel tips of Torres Carrasco, tearing down the curtain on Union Station, Joaquin returning triumphant, marching through halls of Tucson, mowing down leaves of grass, forget Walt Whitman, this is an Arlebo dedication to Frida, Selena, Cantiflas, Luis Rodriguez, Valdez, Serwana, Sandra, Anzandua, the mighty Quinn to all that we are and all that we've been through, lifetimes and timelines, galaxies and dimensions of pride, pain and resistance and gothic are the solar showers and the days of living music when the people of the sun were dancing to the tune of Valenzuela and Luna was a calavera as the ancestors welcomed the future through circular calendars where I am you. You are me sitting at a desk looking to the stars searching for the end to a poem that never began that always was and forever shall be. That's Matt Sadio, author of Mowing Leaves of Grass, amazing poet. I'm going to end the show now. I'll be back next week with more poetry. This is La Bamba Rebelde. Porque somos chicanos de East LA, ahí arriba y arriba. A 
y arriba y arriba y arriba iré Yo no creo en fronteras Yo no creo en fronteras Yo cruzaré, yo cruzaré, yo cruzaré Jose, hey, this is KKUP Cupertino, 91.5 FM on your radio dial, kkup.org, streaming worldwide online. This is Nightbird Susie here with you this evening. It's only a paper moon. It's only a paper moon Hanging over a cardboard sea But it wouldn't be make-believe If you believed in me Oh, it's only a canvas sky Hanging over a muslin tree But it wouldn't be make-believe If you believed in me Without your love It's a honky-tonk parade Without your love It's a melody played in a penny arcade It's a Barnum and Bailey world Just as phony as it can be But it wouldn't be make-believe If you believed in me 